0: Today we look at what's called the last of the servant songs. The year of the Lord's favour referred to in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 2 was something that Israel and that was God's people as well as the nation of course was familiar with. From this verse we see that this servant will come to proclaim what happens in a year of the Lord's favour. He is called to give them the understanding and vision to move beyond their current despair into action, which will allow them to build for the future, the future that they're yearning for with God's help. Now, ideally, we'd be looking at this passage maybe at the end of one year and at the beginning of another. But in one sense, we have just come to the end of one year, haven't we? We've called it kind of like that COVID year where we've been kind of like... um Uh, sort of like enveloped in this whole 12 months called COVID that's dictated the way that we've had to live our lives. So what might be ahead for us in this next 12 months? If that was maybe to act potentially as it being a year of the Lord's favour, dare we to seek that and to ask for that? Maybe somewhat significant is the fact that for us, We go from here into next Sunday, which is Easter Sunday, the day when this Jesus came back to life. And with it brought about this fundamental Christian belief that life is indeed possible through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's turn to our Bibles. And if you've got one. Here's one. We're going to turn to the Old Testament. It's a book called Isaiah. We spent the last three weeks looking in this book. We've reached chapter 61. Glynn is going to read to us. And if you're not sure where that is, well, right about halfway is where you get the book of the Psalms. And if you then turn on from there, you're going to come to Isaiah and just count through the numbers until you get to Isaiah 61. Over to Glynn
1: Morning. The reading this morning is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 11. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of our Lord's favour They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing, In my faithfulness I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all
0: nations. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn, for reading that passage to us. So what do we get from Isaiah chapter 61? Well, firstly, prepare to proclaim the good news. Prepare to proclaim. Verses 1 to 3. There are three characters that are referred to in that first verse of the chapter. The three persons are the Spirit, the Lord, and me. Now, one tip for reading through Isaiah to try and is to try and figure out who is the speaker as well as what the subject matter is. Here the focus is on the servant, written in the passage there in Isaiah 61 as Me, who we know as being the promised one, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. This person is here to do a lot of things, but before that, they're to be anointed by the Lord. The Old Testament uses that phrase to mean one who has indeed been chosen. God has chosen his anointed one to do something. And we've seen already through Isaiah's prophecy that it was clearly Jesus who had been chosen, prepared, and then sent. For a specific purpose. Isaiah 61 is his mandate. His life purpose. His mission statement. We've got a mission statement here as a church. Celebrating and sharing the love of God. Isaiah 61 was the mandate for Jesus. What is our purpose? Young people may well wrestle with that. Because they're thinking that they're, 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 uh, their lives are still ahead of them. They've not worked it out yet. Older people maybe wrestle or struggle with life purpose for a different reason. Well, that's all behind me. I'm not really thinking of that now. My my days are surely nearly up. But, you know, all of us, regardless of our age or where we're at in our journey, should still seek to know what our life purpose is and then seek to live and so uh, seek to fulfil that. You know, something as I uh, was thinking about life purpose popped in my head this week as I was looking at this passage. So when I got to this point, I just paused to record what was on my mind. I'd like to share that with you now. I wanna just pause here. Although it's slightly going off at a tangent, I hope this will be helpful. Because when we think about our life purpose, we're not saying that there is one established life purpose and that's it forever and a day. Because otherwise, we're gonna be a bit in trouble if things change in our lives. Let me tell you what I mean. If you've ever experienced marital breakdown or the death of a spouse or a significant life-changing injury or a major health concern, then you'll be more aware of what I'm talking about. For me, it was a sense of marital breakdown. For 22 years, I've been married. Then suddenly that marriage is over and I'm completely devastated. Everything that we were, everything that I was, was locked into that sense of of togetherness in terms of who I was as as an individual, but also what we sought to do as a couple. When then that was no more, and that remains by country mile, the the toughest experience I've ever had in my own life. When that was no more, it was it was kind of like the the, the sand that you get in an egg timer that somebody had maybe slashed the bottom of that egg timer with a sharp knife. And all the sand, all of it had just cascaded out everywhere. Nothing left. That's how I felt. Now, when such things occur, it's not as if we then are no longer left with any purpose. God meets us where we are. He's not ever surprised with those different incidents that sometimes occur in our lives. Sometimes through no fault of our own. It's not as if God's going to suddenly be thinking, oh my goodness, look what's happened to Mr. There or look what's happening in the life of Mrs. Such and Such. Now, what am I going to do now? He's never called out, never surprised. He meets us, he meets you wherever you are at. Now for me that all occurred nearly 12 years ago and for the last 11 years I've been involved in the work of what's called divorce recovery workshops that all started through a very good friend who's a part of our church now simply giving me a leaflet about that organisation. I went away on the course and the rest they say is history. Now was that a part of my original life purpose? No. Was it something that I was always wanting to be involved in? No. Did I ever see that appearing on my menu choice? No. Is it something that God led me into that as I look back over those 11 years, I know has become a part of my life purpose? Yes, very much so. And many of you will know that I've been involved in two residentials a year in different Christian retreat centers. And over my sabbatical, I was able to be involved in a wider scale of things on a national basis as well. God meets us where we are don't ever think that because of whatever it may well have been that's come your way or happened in your life that then you have no life purpose for as long as you have breath left in your nostrils god ain't finished with you yet now back to isaiah 61 where we tried to take stock of what was going on then what that meant for jesus and how that might apply to ourselves and our own life purpose no God has most definitely not finished with you back to our passage in Isaiah chapter 61 these verses helps us see what the servant of the Lord will do when the spirit of God is upon him it's about good news especially for the poor the brokenhearted those captive and those who mourn basically anyone who is feeling completely hopeless and that can sometimes be us too can't it let's be honest pastor Lloyd Stilley said these words he says when a Christian is saved he is set free from his sins his sin debts is cancelled he's set free from the devil to whom he has been enslaved and from his sinful nature and now God begins to restore to him the years that he had squandered when he was away from his maker. In Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 Jesus quotes from this very passage that we've had read in in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 61. He declares that he is the one who fulfills this text. After doing the Bible reading uh, for the day, he sits down. People's eyes are upon him, Luke says, because what was customary was for any rabbi who had read to then teach. And from where he just sat, he then announces, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. (gasps) Gasp. No wonder C.S. Lewis declares that Jesus is either a liar, lunatic or Lord. But what he can't be reduced to is simply a good moral teacher. He didn't leave that option open to us. He never intended to. Jesus is claiming that he is the one that God had chosen, prepared and sent to accomplish all that is mentioned in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Jews would have been familiar with the idea of the year of Jubilee. Every nine years was a Sabbath. After the seventh Sabbath, or year 49 in other words, if I've worked my maths out right, there was a year of Jubilee, the 50th year. It was a celebration. So... On that point we're going to pause to actually reflect and highlight on a celebration of our own here see if you can recognize this couple this was the text that I received from the happy couple we've got something big to celebrate It was on Saturday the 3rd of April 1971 that Roger and Nina got married. That makes this year, they said, their 50th golden anniversary. And they added this, Nina did, although we won't be able to celebrate as we'd hoped, I have been told that for a jubilee, you can actually celebrate for a whole year. The dictionary also says this is a time of rejoicing. Yeah! So, I hope that you guys celebrate. Right, back now to Jubilee here in our passage. This was a year of rest for the land, forgiving debts freeing slaves and indeed restoring relationships god had established this way back in leviticus chapter 25 every 50th year israel was to take a whole year off just imagine that cancelling all debts returning to its original owners all family property that had been sold and generally being kind and generous to everyone to all of god's people what a picture It foreshadowed the liberation work of Jesus. We can read more about that in Galatians 5 verse 1. But ultimately, it's the cross that cancels all of our debts. God says we're free at that moment of faith to leave all the past behind and move on with grateful relief and newfound purpose. So every year, every 50 years, rather, everything will be reset And start from zero. This is a way of of their own uh, seeking to achieve a social equity. Everyone would start over again on the basis of God's provision. Jesus came to proclaim this freedom to those who felt banged or indeed felt captive. What we need to grab hold of is these big words. Believe there can be hope. Believe, there can be hope. Believe indeed, there can be hope. The servant of the Lord grants three things to those struggling. Listen to these words. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Those are some good substitutions in there, aren't they? We get a crown of beauty. Someone else got a crown of thorns. Ashes was used as a sign of sorrow and sadness. So to receive this beautiful headdress is a symbol of substituting mourning for glory, if you like. It's repeated in, in the next phrase as well. But lastly, instead of a broken heart, the servant gives a garment of praise to cover The broken hearted. It sounds great, doesn't it? But in practice, let's be honest, we might not always feel that great and you might not feel that great right now. However, if we are able to trust in what God's word says, the potential is that we might become oaks of righteousness. You can feel the strength, can't you? And that's good news if you feel just like a dead stick, isn't it? Oaks have got deep roots, haven't they? And they're consistently used as symbols of certainty and confidence in the Bible. Wouldn't it be great to live in that knowledge and security? Maybe we don't feel that we're quite there yet. Maybe we were, but now we feel somewhat lost. There can sometimes be a feeling of God not being or appearing close. There can, of course, be times where we need to just simply wait upon him. At other times, we need to come near to God and he will come near to you. James chapter 4, verse 8. At other times, we're to reflect the roots of the oak itself and dig deep that we might draw of what will give us both nourishment and growth. Who the Son sets free is free indeed i'm a child of god yes i am in my father's house there's a place for me i'm a child of god yes i am what a great song there's a place for me there's also a role for me too a role for you too as we go back to isaiah's passage uh, this passage in isaiah here our next point is this seek to be restored and be a restorer. It's not one or the other. The two go together. And that excites me. You see, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 4 states this, that people will build up the ancient ruins, raise up the former devastations, repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, this is the point, that although this was fulfilled in the subsequent return of God's people from the exiles, it's more than just ancient history way more and that's the beauty of god's word it speaks to us about the restoration of god's people so legitimately that includes you and me too isaiah speaks to those of us who feel devastated hopeless because this servant is what is a builder and a restorer Some of us may well feel that we're just maybe uh, only having like the, 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 the sense of shame and ruin about us. But that is never the end of the story. It never deters God. He promises to come and take their and our ruins and turn them into something far better. David J. Bailey, that's not the photographer you understand, said these words. Instead of dwelling on the glass being half empty... They needed new eyes and hearts which could rejoice in the glass being half full. What about your glass? That's a a rhetorical question, but it's an important one maybe for ourselves to ask. Now here's a question for you. A little bit of Japanese, nothing like a little bit of a culture uh, uh, um, lesson. Have you ever heard of a word called kintsugi? Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Literally, it means golden joinery. Here's a definition of kintsugi. It's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dusted or mixed with powdered gold. Can you picture that? As a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise that's really quite beautiful there's actually a Christian organization even named after that word kintsugi all the broken pieces glued together to look something beautiful now I'd never heard of this uh, word until quite recently but what I can remember is the night before one particular couples wedding when they were quite overwhelmed with that sense of their own individual past. And as we spent time together as a three, I asked that that I could pray for them. And they agreed to that. And as I prayed, a picture came in my mind of what God was doing and was intending to do for and in and indeed through that couple, who more than 10 years on are still together. And the picture I had was of broken pieces of pottery but of them being glued together. So the, the, the final product, if you like, was was this vase that had come together, but you could see that it was all the broken pieces that had now been stuck and glued together. What a powerful picture of what God longs to do with the likes of you and yes, me as well. Because of each each of us have areas of brokenness in our lives, don't we? We all do. That's why this chapter in Isaiah sixty one is so encouraging. For us, From being restored, we then become those who are able to be involved in the restoration business of other people's lives. And this is where the church fits in. Now the temptation of course is to hear that and then conclude, well I'm not feeling built up or restored by the church. Before we stop to realise that we should be the ones who are seeking to help restore others. Because we are the church, if we're a part of it. It's not that body that's out there. If we're a part of that body, we are already the church. So what is my role? What is our role within that? And by the way, if you're watching this and you're not yet a part of our church or you're not yet belonging to any church, then we are, or at least we should be, here for you. Do get in touch with us and we'll see what we can do. No, we can't produce miracles in and of ourselves. But we do worship a God who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. All the king's horses and all the king's men may not have been able to put Humpty together again. But what God is able to do with broken pieces in his hands is truly remarkable. When Isaiah states this restoring is through our being ministers and priests. He's literally meaning through ourselves being servants. In our church magazine called The Bridge, which is currently uh, on furlough, some of you may well remember in each edition we've got a list of who's who, who the deacons are, the trustees, people like that. And then right at the bottom of that list it says about church ministers and it says all church members. That's quite a deliberate point that we're making. It's our biblical understanding that we all Have a part to play in being restorers. Kintsugi. Here's another point from the final three verses. There's a bit of a change of perspective from verse 8. And what we see as a summary here is that it's all going back to God. No harm in that, is there? God will do what he intends to do. And that's where our confidence lies. It shifts from the servant to the personal voice of the Lord. Here, God is telling us what He loves and what He does not love. This is a God who loves holiness, who can't tolerate evil, but He loves people, regardless of what we do. We see that in verse 8. And the closest I guess we can get uh, to that kind of picture in our own world and understanding is the parent who so loves uh, their child. We want them to see, we want to see them live well, to behave well, to make wise and right uh, decisions. And we're disappointed when they don't, sometimes angry. And yet we cannot stop loving them. God is like that. But he delights to bless his people. Nonetheless, he knows what we're like. None of us are perfect. In my first church, I remember there singing at the conclusion of, of every service, something that they called the doxology. I couldn't spell that, let alone knew what it meant. But this was the, these were the words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Apologies to those of you musical out there. I had no idea, as I said, what I was singing. And yet when those words have been going over my mind uh, this week, going back some 30 years when I used to sing that, it was such a stirring way to conclude at the end of time of God's people being uh, together. But words like that and songs like that, short though they are, are rooted in verses from Isaiah chapter 61. From God's voice in verses 8 and 9, we return to then the voice of the servant in verse 10. It's very clearly the voice of Jesus who's rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Because he's clothed with the garments of salvation. He's covered in this robe of righteousness. Jesus was never a reluctant saviour. Yes, he had that Gethsemane experience of not wanting to face the cross. Who would? And yet remember, he also included those words as a part of that painful prayer. Yet not my will, thy will be done. This Jesus had come to seek and save the lost. He wanted only to please his father. So here we see him rejoicing in what would become mission accomplished. Now I suddenly sense the Mission Impossible music coming in. Da, 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 da. da and that's why we are able to celebrate it's why we are going to celebrate next week at easter on easter sunday because easter is the primary visual aid that we have for mission accomplished and talking of easter you know i think the ministry of puppets may well have something to say about that as well i'm not entirely sure that they each understood exactly what Easter was all about. But kids, if you're around, gather around the screen right now. Come on, come on, come on, put your iPad down right now. Over to our Ministry of Puppets. Thank you so much to the Ministry of Puppets once again. Fantastic, isn't it? To have that sense of hope, something to celebrate. And we're going to be thinking about something to celebrate very shortly. I want to say thank you uh, to Sarah as well for bringing us that brilliant message for community kids. Do make sure you continue to pray for Sarah because shortly, sadly, she's going to be moving away from here. And we're going to be really, really missing you, Sarah. So thank you for all that you have been doing for us. Bless you for that. Always good to celebrate, isn't it? By way of conclusion how will you respond how will you respond not the person over there or the person over there how will you respond there are only two questions really that matter by way of response firstly do we believe this good news or do we not do we believe that good news message or do we not do we respond in faith or in unbelief there can be no sitting on the fence that's a no vote And there are no no fences in heaven. You're either in God's kingdom or you're not. End of. If we believe this message, then Jesus is already, or he can become, our saviour. That's the first question. And it's really, really important. Second question is this. And it relates to what we then do about what we say we believe. Will this mandate in Isaiah chapter 61 become our mandate too? Jesus told his followers, You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, there are only two responses. We either respond to God with a big, fat, juicy, Yes, count me in. I want to live so that I take opportunities to proclaim this good news. I want to make a difference to the poor. I want to help those who feel broken-hearted. I want to help those people who feel captive or trapped in whatever way. I want to be there for those people who mourn, who are hurting. I want to, people to know that there is and can be hope for the hopeless. Because of Jesus, my Saviour. And it's that response that highlights Jesus not just being our Saviour but our Lord as well. Or, of course, conversely, we can respond with an embarrassed no. Probably a silent one, because we won't want to verbalise that, will we? But actions speak louder than words. We're too busy. We can justify that. Other things are more important. We can't justify that, but they are very often, aren't they? Faith is a private matter we like to hide behind. Well, I'd watch the broadcast, but maybe the temptation is to do so, knowing that for another week we haven't got to do anything else until we do the Aris Church. Armchair Christianity is not Christianity. You know, someone once said that Jesus is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Two questions, two options for each. What is it we believe? And if we believe what is our response as we seek to put his word into practice may each of us seek to be doers of the word not merely listeners and a big part of that is trusting ourselves back again into god's hands where we discover there the lord being our shepherd and hopefully our response is i will trust in you alone Thank you so much for joining us again on this broadcast. Thanks for those of you who've been involved in piecing it together. Really do appreciate all your help in making this happen. We're going to end with a short prayer. We'd love to hear from you if there's something that struck a chord with you or something you wanted to question or ask. There are more details, of course, on our website, but there's a means of you making contact with us through the homepage of our website. I'm going to read the words of the first song that we sung, which seems a long time ago now, Come As You Are. Because as we respond in that invitation, that puts us maybe in the right place for this final prayer, which is not my words. It's the prayer of John Wesley, the hymn writer. Firstly, that first song. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted. Let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner. Come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless, and all those who strayed come sit at the table come taste the grace let's rest but there's rest for the weary rest that endures earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure and Isaiah 61 is the testimony of that this is John Wesley's prayer may it also be ours too father God I am no longer my own but yours put me to what you will rank me with who you will put me to doing put me to suffering let me be employed for you or lay it laid aside for you exalted for you or brought low for you let me be full let me be empty let me have all things let me have nothing I freely And wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you all.